0: Hey guys, welcome to the LT Brings the Heat podcast. We're your hosts Sean Laird and Adam Heister, where we talk about baseball and sports performance. The topics ranging from coaching, business, and player development. Our goal is to bring you a no BS approach to development in baseball and sports performance. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's rock and roll. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of LT Brings the Heat. We're your host, Sean Laird and Adam Heisler. we got a special guest here today, um, Keegan Curtis. He's a uh, former pitcher of Louisiana Monroe. He uh, was drafted by the New York Yankees, I believe, in 2018. Is that right, Keegan?
1: Yes, sir. That's all right.
0: Um, so I'm actually really excited. Adam and him know each other, um, and uh, Keegan's obviously working in offseason right now. And um, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good. Can't complain. Yeah. yeah. yeah nice day outside. Pretty nice. Yeah exactly well yeah you guys get the nice day outside it's like 30 degrees here so i'm chilling in indiana <laughs> while you guys are enjoying enjoying life down south um but so kind of tell our listeners a little bit keegan like kind of uh who you are where you're where you're from and kind of your recruiting process that kind of led you where you are today
1: um all right so my name's uh keegan edward curtis i'll give you
0: the full take on that yeah uh,
1: born and raised in mobile alabama um You know, I grew up playing baseball for as long as I could remember. Uh, I went to W.P. Davidson High School in Mobile, uh, played four years there. Uh, Had a ton of offers coming out of high school, uh, you know, and I just continued to weigh my options, you know, to to see wherever I thought was best going to fit me to where I could call home, you know, for the next three to four years. Um, And eventually, you know, I found ULM as that being my home, uh, you know, and I played four years there. You know, I don't regret it at all. It's a great university, great campus. Uh, the people there treat you like family. And you know, and that's the big reason that I wanted to go there. Uh, it's just that I saw how how tight the guys were there. Uh, I didn't necessarily have the greatest of head coach my first three years there. Um, kind of just – you know, I'm not trying to bash the guy. You know, he just had his off-field issues but and brought them upon us onto the field. And, uh, you know, former players for him, you know, will back me up on that whenever I say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, my senior year, we brought in a guy named Michael Federico, who to this day I would do anything for. If, he, if I showed up on campus tomorrow and he asked me to run through a brick wall for him to, show him to show his guys how to do it, you know, I I would gladly do it for him. You know, that man stuck his back out for me. You know, more times than, you know, than less. Uh, always, you know, positive energy, positive vibes in the whole way. Uh, and then I got picked up in the 22nd round in 2018. Uh, started off in the GCL, you know, trying to work on some pitch development type of things, uh, figuring out exactly what type of pitcher I was. I came in throwing sinkers. Uh, and then one game – I said, forget this. I'm about to start ripping some four-seams. And uh, as soon as I got done, uh, Danny Burrell, our old coordinator, pulled me to the side and was like, were you throwing two-seams or four-seams? I was like, I was throwing four-seams. And he was like, "Yes, yeah, stick with that, drop the sinker, and just start throwing four-seams and, you know, keep working on the curveball and we'll develop a slider. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where I'm in. That's where I am today. You know, I started last year, or we didn't get to play last year. So, in 2019, started off. In extended spring training, that was a little bit of a bummer. Uh, so, I took that to heart, worked really hard. Uh, went up to Staten Island through 15 innings and then got promoted to Charleston. Uh, did the same thing in Charleston as I did in Staten Island. You know, I have really good success starting to figure out who I am as a pitcher. Uh, starting to really get into the analytical side of things and know how my pitches. I guess, mesh with each other and the, and the different types of sequencing and things like that. Um, you know. So that's just where I'm at today.
2: No, that's awesome stuff, Keegan. And since yesterday was kind of national signing day for baseball players, let's take it back to – when you signed at ULM Monroe? Because we talk a lot about recruiting on here and just how important it is having relationships with the players and the coaches that are going to be with you for the next three to four years and just how much of the the culture in the locker room, the on-the-field campus, uh, just what all went into that decision with it being UL, ULM versus maybe some other college coaches?
1: So I'll never forget on my
2: recruiting visit,
1: uh, two two other big time dudes from Mobile came with me. Or one was from Fairhope, Andrew Mahoney and uh, Corey Childress. Uh, all three of us went up on on a visit to ULM at the same time, and uh, uh, we got to go to a tailgate, you know, and hang out with the guys. Uh, and and I just saw how close everybody was there.
0: You know, they were
1: all you know, calling each other brother, you know, I love you, man, this and that. They were, you know, by the end of the day, you know, they were all – that we all had nicknames, you know, and that nickname stuck with me for, the, you know, the next four years that I went to ULM. Uh, uh, I would, I would definitely say that a big part of, like you said, getting to know the guys and everything like that going up through the recruiting process is to trust your gut instinct Uh, don't, don't go where, you know, know, a lot of kids use this word nowadays for the clout, I guess you could say, or Mm -hmm. this and that, um, don't go to, you know, big time schools just because, you know, you want to go to that big time school or just because you think, Oh, I got that offer. That's where I need to go. to that big time school, um, I would say you need to trust your gut instinct and go where you feel most welcome. You feel the most comfortable, um, you know, even even though I was five hours away from Mobile, you know, I felt like I was just at home, even the, the first day that I stepped foot on that campus. Um, you know, I had families there open up their arms to me, uh, the the Daniels, the Barefoots, uh, the Hemphills, the Hendrixes. Uh, I still remember all those families, still keep in touch, contact with them. Uh, you know, I just still to this day, man, I, you know, I just, you know, I loved every aspect of it. It's just a huge cultural of family there. Uh, I still talk to Federico occasionally. He's busy. I talked to Coach Belanger. you know uh, yeah. just it was just a great a great family. you know it literally felt like I was walking in the own doors of my own house back in Mobile every, t- every time I stepped foot on that campus.
0: That's awesome, man. And, you know, I really appreciate you being honest about your first coach, at Louisiana Monroe, because it's a lot of guys like it's you want to be honest about things, but you kind of worried about what people are going to say. And you said your buddies would back you up. And I think it's something for the listeners. that's really important. They could listen because we talk about me and I'm talking about coaching styles. We talk about, you know, how parents perceive things, players perceive things. How about? Can you break us down a little bit? And obviously, I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus, and I know you won't. Uh, but like, can you describe the difference when your new coach came in your seat your last year, and the differences in coaching styles, and why it helped you, you know, feel more comfortable, but also perform at at, at a great at a high level, and and kind cr- of you know, create that camaraderie as a team.
1: Well, I okay, so for the first three years. Um this word would get thrown around our locker room a lot, you know just between the guys you know, and it would be monotonous you know um, mm-hmm. we we weren't succeeding, but yet we would go out and do the same things every single day like it like we were like robots, you know it was it was like on script uh, that's what we were doing that day, and we already knew that and it just it just got to the point to where my junior year, I know some of the seniors stepped up and, and said, you know, we're not doing practice like this anymore. We're going to do it our way. And our head coach didn't like that too much. Um, but we told him, look, it's our careers, not yours. Um, I kind of stayed out of that. You know, I was still a junior, had a lot going through my mind. Uh, and uh, he would take, like I said, you know, he would take his off-field struggles onto us on the on-field versus my last year, you know, Coach Federico coming in. Uh, just you you knew right off the bat that this guy was the real deal, just, just from the way that he carried himself on and off of the field, and he expected us to do the same. Uh, he He treated every single one of us, you know, like one of his own kids, um you know and and he was open to new ideas you know he would he would come across and ask you some things and then ask like what your own thoughts were on it, versus my first three years of ULM limit was you're gonna do it this way, and that's it. you didn't have any you didn't have any say in it uh you know, and that's just the way that it was but with with my last year, you know like if if things weren't working you know, there was option B, you know, plan B, plan C, plan D, you know, he had multiple, you know, scenarios or multiple tools and drills and, you know, practice plans and different things like that, that, you know, we weren't doing the same thing every single day. And even though, you know, we fell short, you know, my senior year, uh, I do believe that, you know, I was a part of that group that laid the foundation for that program moving forward. And here, here the past year, uh, I think they came in like third in the Sunbelt. You know, they went all the way to the semis. And they came in like third or fourth, one of the, you know, one of the two. And versus, you know, my four years at ULM, we never even made the conference tournament, not once. And, you know, and that, and that really, you know, that really bugged the crap out of me, to be honest with you, because, you know, I never even sniffed the postseason in four years in college baseball, you know, and that's, you know, that's what I feel like all the school was growing up. You know, you're sitting there, you know, getting to watch all the regionals and the super regionals and the College World Series, you know. I mean, being at a mid-major school, you know, you don't really see a lot of those mid-majors get there. you know, so, you know, that always, you know, gave me a little chip in my shoulder even more, you know, coming from the high school that I came from. You know, we weren't necessarily the greatest high school around, you know. And I got tired of hearing all the kids talk, you know, talk smack about our high school and this and that you know, I'll, I'll always, you know, just play with the chip on my shoulder because, you know, everybody says, so, you, know, you know, we weren't going to be any good. You know, nobody nobody's going to come out of there and be any good. So, you know, I still carry that chip with me today.
2: Yeah, that's great stuff that you dove in deep on that. And being with the Louisiana Knights organization, Coach Federico's son plays on one of the 14- or 15-year-old teams, and we've heard nothing but rave reviews about him as well as the player and the coach. So I'm so glad that you were able to hit on that from that standpoint besides just having the coaching change, was there anything that personally you did different maybe from a training standpoint to kind of help you get ready for that senior year or was it just kind of different coaching avenues that were helping you, yeah, I guess, get to try new things and implement new drills and implement maybe a new long toss session. Was there anything different that you did that really stood out that you think kind of took you to where you ultimately got drafted in that senior year? Uh, without a doubt. Um, Federico moved me to the bullpen and said, that's
1: that's where your future is going to be is in the bullpen. Uh, I said, I'm all for it. I'm on board. You know, let, let's roll with it. Uh, I started getting introduced to uh, weight involved by a guy named Joel Mangrum. Uh, I started doing those religiously. Uh, I just felt like my arm was more in sync. Uh, an- another guy came in, uh, Grayson Crawford. Uh, he taught me. Uh, a a different type of slider, and him and Federico would sit down with me and uh, we would watch videos of Clayton Kershaw versus his curveball spin and – or his release point, his curveball release point versus a slider release point because my pitches were starting to look very, very similar. Um, So I started getting in the aspect of that, and my my two pitches started to separate. And I feel like that's what really – started to separate me is that uh, Joel got me on a great long toss program. Like you said, Uh, we did different type of bullpen drills, uh, a bunch of different weighted ball drills that just helped me feel more connected. And I, I just found that I just got way more consistent with all three of my pitches, you know, moving into my senior year. And I just had much more success. I felt like whenever I was on the mound, I didn't care. Barry Bond stepped in the, In the box
0: you know i just have that much confidence that's awesome you know when it comes to weighted balls do you feel like that how much do you feel like it helped your velocity or maybe your velocity longer in the game or do you think it was more of a connection like everything was starting to flow and you were more fluid from using those right so a lot of people have
1: a misconception about weighted balls they a lot of people think that the more that you throw weighted balls over the harder i'm going to throw and Mm -hmm. that's not that's not necessarily the purpose of them. The purpose of them is to clean up your arm action, mm-hmm. and also doing different drills with the weighted balls can also help clean up your your load and and your delivery towards towards the plate. Mm-hmm. And learning how to generate all your energy, you know, trying to get into the straight line as possible, staying tall for as long as you can down the slope, and being explosive out in front. Um, so that's kind of where you start finding these people start jumping in velocity with the weighted balls. It's not necessarily because they're throwing heavier balls, right? Mm -hmm. It's because they're, they're doing these different drills with different weighted balls to, to feel their arms moving in in, in the most efficient way possible for their bodies and doing the different drills as well with, um, for example, like walking windups, Uh, you know, it helps you walk into the, into the delivery position and, you know, and and the objective of of that is to, you know, if you sit there and watch like, uh, Garrett Cole pitch, for example, you know, his, his front hip is already starting to leak down the mound, you know, but he's still connected up top, you Mm -hmm. know, and then it's just a rubber band effect, you know, it just rips out front, you know, and it's just explosive. Uh, that's one of the drills that, you know, that, that I still do to this day, uh, one, two, three or four times a week, and I still implement that into my, my catch play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it would be just like the different type of drills like that uh, that really make pitchers progress. And, and it also helps with uh, that, like your accuracy aspect of things. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're extremely wild and different things like that, there's these drills that I like to do. Uh, they're called Trevor Bowers. You know, you get like a big square on the wall, put some tape, you know, make four different quadrants, and you take like three to four hard steps away. And, uh, you know, in your head, you're going to say, okay, upper right quadrant, and, and you turn around and rip it. You know, bam, it's right there. and You know, or, or bottom left quadrant, you turn around and rip it. Bam, there it is. And then, and then whenever you start getting on the mound, you know, you can feel yourself getting through the ball better.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm really glad. Really, yeah,
1: yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah that's ahead.
2: really cool stuff. I think we're about to say the same thing because nope. me and Sean talk about all the time on here. Is the average Joe is going to read weighted balls? They're going to grab them. They're going to buy it for their kid. And they're going to go chunk them out in the yard as hard as they can, and yep. that's where the injuries are going to come from. And you're going to get nothing out of it. And I think well, that's why when know? people say the word weighted balls, people act like it's almost like you're using a cuss word. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, yeah. you use weighted balls. Whereas when you use them for connection and for drills and arm path, that's the meaning behind them. Not for you to go chunk these things as fast as you can. So I'm so glad that they, like I said, they hear us say it all the time, but now for yourself
0: to actually do it as well as to see the benefits of doing it's really cool for our listeners to hear. Yeah. And that's, that's the one thing, like a byproduct of using those, some guys will increase velocity. And as we know, like there's some guys that, that helps increase velocity, some guys that doesn't, but the increase in external rotation from them, those guys will get it. But I'm really happy that you talked about feeling connected and, and especially you're talking about hitting spots and putting squares up and being you know having control over because that's a lot of things as guys look at weighted balls or they want to jump into a weighted ball program and like hey, i'm just gonna throw a hell out of these heavy balls as much as i can and hopefully something good happens but you're talking about it there's a purpose behind everything that you're doing there's a purpose behind you know you're talking about like having that rubber band effect using your walking windups and, and hitting your quadrants you're not using using the weighted balls because, like, hey, I'm gonna throw 105 mile an hour. You're using the weighted balls because it's going to help you as a pitcher. And if you end up so it ends up helping something else, so be it. You, that, that's a that's icing on the cake. Absolutely, no, mm-hmm. doubt about it. That's yeah. really cool. Hey, Keegan, since uh, since I've got to know you, I get to
2: watch you kind of do your work in the facility and just to see and admire what all goes into your pre-throwing routine. And can you just talk about how important it is for youth athletes and young kids and heck even college and pro players to this day that you make sure you're doing all this stuff and you're ready to throw as opposed to just hey let's grab a ball and start playing some catch can you kind of dive into the kind of your whole routine that kind of gets you ready to go for whether it's a bullpen that day or a long tall session whatever it is to kind of help get you warmed up ready to go.
1: Right. And, and I'm going to touch on that again, Adam. That's one of my biggest pet peeves, man. Whenever I just, whenever I'm out there at a baseball field and I just see kids roll up, throw their spikes on, grab a ball and go to the line and start playing catch. Uh, man, it eats me alive. Uh, You know, you got to treat your body, you know, like a, like a car engine, right? You know, you want to keep it nice and oiled up, you know, and, and firing on all cylinders, right? So let's picture a car engine, right? You know, let's say you stop taking care of it, you know, you stop putting, stop putting oil in it, you know, eventually those pistons are going to start locking up and boom, you know, something's going to pop, right? It's the same thing with our bodies, you know? And uh, I would like to say it starts, it starts off in the mornings, you know, honestly, you know, get staying hydrated, you know, getting the correct fuel within your body. Um, and then once you get, you know, to the facility, to the field, you know, wherever it is you're going to train. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of I would say you need a minimum, a bare minimum of at least at least 30 minutes of, of, of getting loose. I know I know for myself, I take probably 15 minutes of foam rolling. Uh, and then I go into my probably 15 to 20 minutes of mobility work before I even start my activi- my activation stretches and, and then going on into my static stretches. Um, but yeah, that, that's huge, man. Like and if you can stay on top of that every single day, you'll you know you'll see the differences and just how you feel whenever you wake up in the morning. You know, you won't be as achy. You know, you won't be as stiff and different things like that. At first, yeah, you might be a little stiff. You might be a little sore in some areas um, because, you you know, have any of y'all done like hot yoga or yoga or anything like that? Mm-hmm. You know, the next day, yeah. you know, you're sore, right? Mm-hmm. It's because you're, you're getting your body into these positions that, you know, it's not normally being, you know, you're not normal to being in. Yep um, you know, but the more consistent that we get to that, you know, being, you know, stretching out our hips, you know, our, our, let's say our forearms, you know, our, our traps, um, triceps, biceps, uh, pectorals, quads, hammies, calves, uh, you know, just from, from head to toe, you know, I, I like to sit there. I'm probably about what, about an hour, I'm probably a little over an hour. I'm, I have a playlist on my phone you know that i go in and uh whenever that's done you know it's usually a ride right around like an hour and 10 minutes you know before i even start my weighted ball stuff you know mm-hmm. uh and, and that is that to me that's more than half of the battle you know is, is staying on top of uh taking care of your body you know because you don't just want to go out there you know dry and and, and and not, you know, not having some good blood flow and just start ripping balls, you know, that's how you're going to get hurt.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's that's good for our, especially for our high school guys. Now, obviously, college guys, too, to hear is, the problem is, is, like, I have, when I coach guys in the summer, I'll have a specific plan, like, it's a template. And I'm like, hey, like, this is our template. If there's certain things that you want to utilize in this, do your plan with this. But this is to give you an idea of what you should be like, because there's a lot of times, like mm-hmm. you were saying, like, man, like if you're not doing this mobility stuff every day, if you're not taking your time and like 30 minutes before you're even touching a ball or, or, or your weighted balls or whatever you're doing in your programming. Yes. Maybe a couple, you get by a couple of weeks over, but over the course of a long season, your body's going to start breaking down and skipping oh, those 100%. things. Yeah. Skipping yes. those things is going to absolutely hurt you. And that's as young guys. Like, and I was, I was a young guy too. I was young and dumb. I thought I was invincible and I definitely, you know, I, didn't know any better. And I hurt myself doing stuff like that. Like, Hey, let's just go straight into it and and start gripping and ripping. That's, that's really good for our guys to hear hundred percent. Yep. So earlier you started talking about, you know, your sinker making the adjustment from throwing your sinkers to, Hey, let's start throwing four seamers. I would assume a lot of it had to do with your spin rate and some of the metrics that you were kind of, kind of learning on, or maybe swing and miss. Could you kind of right. break it down for us of, of of why that change happened? And obviously you had feel to do it in the middle of a game before you probably even heard anything about it. But kind of break right. that down for us because I think this is something, especially for the new school guys, this is really important for guys to hear.
1: Uh, so I, I started realizing, you know, that – in pro ball every time that you know i was throwing fastballs down in the zone but you know my sinker you know that's that's where you want to throw your sinkers down the zone yep i'm not gonna lie they were getting peace they were getting (laughs) and i was like what is going on like these are like really good pitches that are just getting hit hard and uh you know, in, in the middle of the game, I was like, dude, you know, like, forget this. I was like, I'm about to just start throwing four seams and start trying to just blow it by people. And um, I started realizing in the game that I, I, my four seams were kind of like upper quadrant of the zone and people were just swinging right underneath of them. And I was like, huh, well, we're just going to keep doing that. You know, and I just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. And I had a, that was like my best outing at the GCL. And, uh, I wasn't too familiar with the thing called break Z by that point, but, uh, they kind of broke it down to me and kind of what it is, 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 is it's the vertical movement of what it, you know, on a fastball, Mm -hmm. you know, so like it, it, you hear a lot of pro guys sit there and say, uh, something about Craig Kimbrell's fastball looks like it rises Okay, and and that that's break Z. Like you can sit there and watch Bryce Harper talk about Craig Kimbrel's. It looks like his fastball rises, and he you know and he promises and you know swears up in town that you yeah. know, his fastball actually mm-hmm. like, takes off and rides, and and that's what that break Z is. Is, is, is it's it's that ride and that deceives the eyes of the hitter. It makes it look like the ball is in one spot, but you know and but it's really not. Mm-hmm. And, and- so that's where you get a lot of guys swinging underneath of these balls uh another guy that I like to watch big time is uh Odorizzi. he's a he's a big spin rate guy and he throws you know 94 95 miles an hour and all of his fastballs are up in the zone mm-hmm. you know he you know up in the zone up in the zone up in the zone uh and 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 that's you know that's honestly one of the guys that I you know started to watch you know very vigorously because you know, me and him kind of were, were comparable in a way because, you know, he's not – he doesn't throw – at the time, he didn't throw, you know, super gas, you know, anything. He wasn't, you know, in the upper 90s or anything like that. Uh, but but now, you know, you know, nowadays, that's where the game's going. It's going north to south. The whole east to west thing, you know, it's it, – it, it, that's kind of old school. You know, you got catchers coming up underneath the pitches to try and steal them. Um, You know, there's these new catching, this new catching guy, you know, you see a lot of catchers having different stances than what they used to back in the day. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And honestly, uh, my fastball plays off of my my 12-6, so uh, that would be another reason why, you know, I started letting my forcing fastball just play up in the zone and, you know, trying to get as much backspin and ride on that thing as possible
0: yeah that then that that would definitely be deception having a 12-6 right there it's gonna be harder to pick up and harder to recognize and there i mean there was a guy at florida atlantic i can't remember who it was adam you might know who it was but he would throw fastballs up in his own and i'm like damn it i keep swinging underneath this damn thing and i think yeah uh i think it might have been uh rj alvarez maybe rj alvarez yeah it was was, man that guy was dirty yeah um But uh, Chipper Jones was talking about in his book when he faced Billy Wagner, he thought he literally had to swing above the baseball to get on Mm -hmm. playing. And that's, again, it's where, you know, the old school guys would say, get on top, get on top, get on top. Those high rising, rising fastball guys, they have to make those adjustments immensely. And that's the feel with certain things. But yeah, those those high fastball guys, that the high spin rate guys, but also with the Big 12-6, those those guys are really hard to adapt to, and really hard to make adjustments. And I, I like how you broke down. It's it's different from the East West. Now they're going more north south on things, and that's you see that a lot, especially with catchers. And like you're saying, the stances, like especially the last two three years in summer ball, you're seeing a lot of drastic changes. And some of them are really good. Some of them are, you know, guys are still learning and and, and not very good. Right. But that right. was really really that was a really good breakdown. I really love that right there.
2: Yeah, I think it's so cool that you were hitting on that stuff because I don't think a lot of guys maybe have information to it. Where it's back in the old days, it was, hey, throw down in the zone to get ground balls. Where now guys are changing their swing changes, so now it's pitchers are counteracting that. To, All right, you're going to start swinging with a little bit more loftier swing. I'm going to dominate you with high fastballs. So it's so cool. I mean, I get asked a lot of the times who was the toughest pitcher I ever faced coming through, and it was Jacob DeGrom. And I literally remember walking back to the dugout saying that thing, halfway to me just rose and it ended up in my chest and it started at my knees and the Mm -hmm. people were laughing at me like what's going on and then he ultimately wins Cy Young after Cy Young he dominates in the all-star game and the rest is history but it was so cool that you were able to find that on your own can you talk about how important it is for a pitcher to kind of find out your strengths and your weaknesses and how to put that plan together I specifically remember the summer and I was interacting with some pitchers back and forth and They're showing me five different pitches they throw, and I'm asking them, like, is five even necessary? Why don't you just have two dominant pitches and throw the other three away? Can you just kind of elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, first I'm I'm going to touch on on the five-pitch thing. Uh, I I say that a lot, too, you know, with with the younger kids. You know, everybody thinks they throw a a slide or a curveball, a change-up, a a four-seam and a two-seam. Okay, like like that nonsense has like got to stop. You know, mom and dad's got to stop telling their kids, yeah, you need to throw this and this and this and this and this. <laughs> and, you know, you got to sit there and realize, uh, okay, I'm really good at throwing this pitch and this pitch, like Adam said. Okay, now let's work on throwing – let's work extra hard on this third pitch to get it where I'm really good at throwing it. You know, with number one and number two, you know, and don't get away from throwing number one and number two just as much, you know, but you might need to tap into that number three pitch, you know, a little bit more than what you're doing with number one and number two, you know, uh, Sorry, Adam, Over the other things you said? I kind of got sidetracked. That.
2: No, that was it. Yeah, just kind of basically describing your strengths and weaknesses and how important it is to kind of know yourself versus like trying to compare. I think a lot of this day in athletes our parents, we try to compare guys side by right. side. So say maybe one guy, a high school guy is more of a velocity guy. And then, well, the other guy is an 81, 82, but he really hits the spot. Can you talk about how, okay, maybe it's okay to have both as opposed to well, why is this kid getting all the looks because one big debate we always talk about is the velocity that kids are, all they're learning how to do is throw hard. They're not learning actually how to pitch. So I guess, yeah, where, where are you standing on that line of like, what would I guess be some advice to kids on what do you think is maybe more important at the high school age group or what to really focus on? Uh, I would definitely say at the high school age, what you really need to focus on is
1: commanding, is commanding your pitches that, you know, that's, that's one of the, the hardest things, you know, to do, you know, is is to be as consistent as possible with throwing, a, you know, two, three-pitch mix, you know, whatever it may be. You know, some guys are gifted and can throw four. Um, but, you know, a lot of these young kids, you know, they don't even know that Greg Maddux used to throw 82 miles an hour in the big leagues and absolutely dominate. Mm-hmm. 82 mile an hour and in the big leagues, fastball, and would absolutely dominate. Um, and th- that's where I, yes, velocity helps. That's kind of like where the game is going now. Um, but you know, I'm I'm just not completely sold on. You know, you you have to throw hard. You have to throw hard. You have to throw hard. Uh, there's another guy in the big leagues right now, Doc. You know, he he throws 88 miles an hour. You know, and, and throws two different changeups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in. in you know, like Adam said, you just got to know who you are as a pitcher, and, and take what you have and run with it. Don't try and compare yourself to anybody else, because once you start trying to compare yourself to everybody else, uh, you're you're already losing. You're already losing the battle, because you're once you start trying to compare yourself to other people, that means that there's doubt in your mind. That your stuff isn't good enough, and once that little tiny ounce of doubt seeps in between your ears, it's game over because you're never gonna you're never gonna be confident again. You know because you're gonna sit there and say, "Oh gosh, that guy's throwing ninety seven. I only throw I only throw eighty eight. Why why can't you know uh you know you don't want to be like that. You need to sit there and say, so what? He throws ninety seven, and he gets smacked around a little bit. I throw <laughs> eighty eight and dot
0: you know mm-hmm. at, you know so so what yeah that's that's money right there because there's a lot of guys we have guys that we see that are very successful in the bulls organization that i coach and and guys that i train to they're successful at something and they look at this guy and go well this guy's throwing five miles harder than me and you, you see that insecurity and you see that doubt in them like oh i need to change something i'm not where i need to be at mm-hmm. i'm like dude like you're committed to a d1 you're dealing right now you, your role. You need to know your role and accept that role. And maybe you will be throwing harder one day. But at the end of the day, it's whoever makes it to the big leagues is winning. And 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 everybody's yeah. going to be a little bit different. And I see that doubt. And I see guys like this little insecurity, like, oh, I need to change this. I need to change something. And I'm like, dude, you just do a CG and you're worried. Like, you know, build on what you just did. Right. But-
1: you know. And, and to me, you know, try and get as much information as you can. You know, on on who you are as a pitcher, you know, and the Yankees do a great job of that, you know, giving us as much feedback as possible. Um, you know, and, and, and it's there for, for us, you know, with, with the Yankees organization, it's there for, for our taking, you know, we have this, we knew, we have our tech guys that follow us around even on the roads and different things like that, grabbing as much data as possible from every pitch that we throw every bat that they take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it's there for for you, you know, and, and I see a lot of guys in Pro Ball to this day, you know, that, that, that don't take advantage of that stuff, you know, and I'm kinda looking around like why are you not taking advantage of this stuff? You know, mm-hmm. because it's literally telling you who you are as a pitcher and what your what your faults are and what your strengths are. So yep. so why not sit there and and take off with that information, go home during the off season and Absolutely, you know, just go as hard as you can at it at your fault with with the long as you know, staying on top of your strengths as well. Yeah. You know, I just I don't I just don't see why a lot of people don't grasp that aspect of, of of everyday life. You know, that's just I mean, you know, outside of baseball, you know, it's just every
2: everything. Yeah, that's so yeah. This, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you hit on that because I think a lot of people are from that old school mentality of too much information and I'm one of the guys that I want all of it and then I'll decide what I want to use with it. It kind of sounds the sure. same way that you are too. And I just don't see why guys wouldn't be open-minded to that idea. <laughs> one thing me and Sean talk about all the time on here is trying to bridge the gap of old school and new school is like there's times in place for both of them. So if I can give you all this information from an analytics guy, now I know how to replicate that and put it into my game plan. I think the biggest gap is maybe just communication between the two. So whether it's, hey, a pitching coach meets with the analytic staff and they get on the same page versus, hey, let's lean way more analytic and less coaching on field, or, hey, we're going to have a ton of on-field coaches because they've been there, done that. But maybe they don't know the data and the stuff to kind of back everything up. I think that's the biggest loss, and I think that's also why the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Rays. These, guys, these teams are the most successful because they are all on the same page in this together, where some of these other teams are – pulling at the bit of, Hey, we're old school. We don't like the new stuff. Then there's some that are super, super new school that don't have any coaches with any experience of playing the game. So I think it's just so important to kind of bridge that gap and bring those both together. So I'm glad you were able to hit on that.
0: Yeah. I I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of personalities too. the guys that have a growth mindset versus, you know, being static and and being okay with where they are. Um, I agree with that hundred percent. Like you've got to utilize every single tool around you to get better. Um, but there's a lot of guys that are satisfied where they are. I would agree, except for when they take Blake Snell out of game six of the World Series. <laughs> I don't care what the metrics say. The dude's dealing. Sure. Yeah, he's got, he's got some, some big nuts hanging between his legs. Let's let him finish the game.
1: Yeah, big boys. I mean, my gosh, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> I mean at, at some point, you, you got to sit there and, 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 and sit out there and look and just be like, forget the analytics. We are still yeah. playing baseball. Mm-hmm. this guy is dominating. We, we got to keep it going. Same thing with uh, what Brian McCann did with Charlie Wharton and the Astros. Yep. yep. Uh, in between innings, apparently Hinch was calling down to the bullpen to get somebody loose. And McCann walked up to Hinch and was like, what are you doing? Do you, are you not watching the game that, I'm, that, that I am? Because this guy is, is just absolutely dominating. You know, these guys aren't even touching him. And I'm pretty sure didn't Charlie Wharton line up going CG that game?
2: Yeah. yeah he closed yeah, it he out finished i think he threw the, the five rest in yeah he finished the game yeah. on out right there yep. so.
1: yeah so i mean like goodness, you know you you got to sit there you know yes the analytic things are good but at the same time you know it, it's good to have the baseball savvy guys around to sit there and say hey you know we are still playing baseball
0: Yep. yeah you got to have the best of both worlds i asked one of my aces this past summer i was like hey if you would have been dealing like Snell and I walked out there to try to take you out, what would you have done? He said, I would have said, take your ass back to the dugout. <laughs> you're not taking me out of this game. I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. glad, because I would never have ever done that. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
1: I'm talking about I would have I would have been pointing and yelling at my manager as soon as I saw him hit that top step. I'd have been like, You're not taking me out of this game.
2: No shit. <laughs> That Absolutely. Is awesome. Hey, one thing we like to talk about on here when we bring our guest on is kind of some adversity that the guests have maybe faced in their life previous to kind of get them to where they're at now. Is there one in particular moment or maybe a couple moments that stand out to you that, that over adversity you had to overcome to get to where you are today? Oh, uh, one million percent. And uh, I'm going to say that's my junior year of
1: college. Uh, I was never the guy to let anything get in between my ears you know I was I'm all I've always been the guy to uh, you know block out that you know the outside stuff and focus on you know what I want to do and bringing it back to that college coach man it just he just ended just started tearing me down tearing me down tearing me down and uh, I'll never forget this man he brought me into his office and told me that I was going to be the reason that he lost his job, and uh, man, that hit that hit me hard, dude. And I and and I left that getting between my ears, and I started trying to do too much, too much here, too much there. Um, I wasn't I wasn't giving my body the the proper rest time and stuff that it needed. I was getting back out there, you know, and just trying to to throw as hard as I could every single day, trying to trying to just find it again. And I winded up uh, having some forearm tendonitis pop up on me really bad. Uh, I got scratched from, I think, three or four starts, one being the worst was out, I was out there at uh, Georgia Southern. I was out there in the outfield. And uh, I'll never forget this. I, I was sitting there just playing catch. You know, and I was let one eat and I felt like I heard something in my forearm pop and I was like, oh my God, like what was that? You know, and, and the guy standing twenty-five, thirty feet to my right playing catch looked at me and was like, What was that? Did something just pop? And I was like oh. I was like, Yeah, something definitely just popped. Um so I went to go get on the mound, you know, through the first pitch, you know, and I threw it like forty five feet. And my coach was like, yeah, you're done. Stop. And I was like, okay, yeah. Went to go get an MRI, you know, nothing, you know, it came back negative. I got a second opinion, came back negative, you know, it was just like really bad uh, tendonitis, you know, and what they came to conclusion was is that it was scar tissue that had just built up in that area and it just popped off. And that's what we had heard. And, uh, I experienced some dead arm after that. You know, my velo dropped big time. I was I was used to being able to throw, you know, 95, 96, you know, throw fastballs by people. I couldn't do that anymore. I think, you know, I was only throwing like 90, 91. And uh, so, I, you know, I just – I got moved to the bullpen. You know, my demeanor was down. You know, I, I let – I let the outside world get the best of me and, uh, you know, turn down – you know the Astros tried to call me in like the thirty second round. I didn't even answer the phone because I knew, I knew that I wasn't ready. I knew mm-hmm. that if I would answer that call and they would offer me some money, that I was gonna go and I I wouldn't be playing pro ball right now. Without a doubt, I would have played probably two years and they'd have been like, "Yeah, this kid's see ya." Mm-hmm. I, I I told Trevor, the scout from the Astros, uh, "Hey man, you know I'm gonna go back for my senior year. You know I I I, I got some unfinished business to do." And, um, you know, from that day on, you know, I looked myself in the mirror and I said, you know, this is what you got to do and this is who you are. Don't get away from who I am. And uh, Coach Federico did a great job of, you know, you know, opening my eyes, you know, to, to what I could become. Same thing with Joel Mangrum, Grayson Crawford, Coach Balanze. you know, all those guys really helped me open my eyes to, to what I could become, you know. And then getting into pro ball, you know, just, you know, not everybody's, you know, the same, you know, yeah. you know, you have different strengths and different, you know, weaknesses, but that would be, that would be the, the biggest piece of adversity that I have definitely had to overcome.
0: That's a, that's a great story, man. I really appreciate you sharing that too. And and I don't know if your formal coach will ever, ever hear this, but if you do hear this, you're a piece of shit. Cause I can't believe that he said that to you. I uh may, you. <laughs> I uh, it makes me want to you know I won't say it on air because people hear this but you know what it makes me want to do because I that's yeah. the exact opposite of being a leader like that you, you're supposed to take extreme ownership and if you're talking to a young man like that and you say something like that that's literally like it's you he recruited you he got you on, on, on the team and obviously you're doing very big things now playing the Yankees organization so I mean that my blood boiled when I heard you say that but I mean you know, props to you, man, to, to be getting over through that adversity. Cause I mean, the adversity makes the man and we say it every single time. And I can already tell that, you know, there's a lot of things going through a lot of confidence that you have inside just by listening to you talk and going through those things. And that, that it made me happy here in the end of that story, obviously too, because there's a lot of personal growth through that story. Um, and obviously there's a different man that, that we're talking to today than there was, you know, years ago when you, when you went through all that, man. I really appreciate you sharing that. Cause there's a lot of times guys don't want to share stuff like that, but that's really important for guys to hear. Um, well, actually one more thing, and, and, and we'll kind of wrap up here in a little bit. You started talking about the elbow pain and I almost forgot to ask this. That is, it's kind of common for a lot of guys. And a lot of times they get fatigued in the arms, whether they're lifting weights, they go straight to throwing or throwing and then lifting weights. What did you mm-hmm. do to kind of heal up that tendonitis? What were kind of the mainstays to help you with that elbow issue?
1: Uh, I cut back the intent on my play catch.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I did a bunch of running to you know uh, to get as much blood flow you know and as as much oxygen to that area as possible to promote the healing. Uh, I did a lot of contrasting. Uh, I absolutely destroyed band work. I'm talking about. I would wake. I, I would wake up in the morning, wrap a band around my my uh, bed frame sit there, do three sets of, I think it was eight to 10 at that point. I think I was actually doing sets of uh, three sets of 12 on, you know, just different things to strengthen. Not only, you know, like my forearm, but, you know, just the entire aspect of my arm, you know, rotator cuff, you know, shoulders, all of that stuff. You know, I, I started to foam roll a whole lot, you know, getting the cross balls to get deep in there to get some deep tissue Um, every now and again, I would go in and get like, uh, ultrasound done on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't a big fan of that. I don't feel like that really did anything for me. So I just kind of got away from that. Uh, I just stuck to my running and my contrasting, my bands, you know, and I took down the, the catch playing tent, you know, during the week. And then, you know, as I started getting closer to, you know, like weekends, you know, I, I would ramp it back up, you know, just to get my arm feeling again. And uh, that, that really helped, you know, and I did that. I took, the, uh, I took the summer completely off after my junior year. I didn't go play summer ball. I, uh, I, just did, I just pretty much just did that all summer long. Just did bands and bands and bands. I didn't pick up a baseball all summer. Just did nothing but band work, you know, recovery stuff and ran a whole lot. Uh, and then went back into my senior year and man, my arm felt amazing, you know, so I just kept doing that, you know, and I, and I still do that stuff
2: today. Awesome. That's awesome stuff. And one thing we like to talk about on here a lot is too, just how important the weight room is for guys and for athletes. What are certain, some lifts that you like more than anything that are kind of your go to's during the week? And how do you plan accordingly doing that? And then on days you throw bullpens kind of, how do you, I guess, interact the two? Right. So I'm a big total body guy. I love total
1: body lifts. Uh, so I don't just necessarily go into the gym and just say, okay, I'm going to do back and buys today, or I'm just going to do like legs and shoulders today. Um, I would definitely say I am a huge, huge fan of TRX rows, uh, weighted inverted rows, uh, weighted pushups, uh, dumbbell bench, And then getting into my favorites would be back squat and deadlift. I mean, I love those. I'm I'm, I'm a big legs guy. I absolutely crush legs. That's my, that's my go-to. I would definitely say deadlifts beat back squat, but I I, I still, I still love back squats as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, from, from, from mixing that in, you know, with, you know, with like your catch play and things like that, you know, uh, you know, I'm on like a routine, you know, and I have a schedule. Uh, so I feel like that's something that everybody needs to start being able to, to get into is finding a routine and a schedule of, you know, what you're going to be doing throughout your week. That way you can plan your lifts and your throwing stuff accordingly. So like for me, you know, I lift big on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And my throw days are – like, my big throw days are <clears throat> Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So, on the Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, I just crush uh, – like, after I get done throwing, you know, I, I just crush even more mobility. I do a lot more band work. And uh, even on Saturdays, I'll go up to the gym after uh, I get done throwing on Saturday, and uh, I'll do my mobility and – uh band my extra mobility and extra band work there and then i'll get in like some uh some farmers carries uh some good buys and tries you know because you want to keep your your decelerators and your accelerators strong um uh, you know and i'm all baseball players i think we fall in love with four on workouts as well those are one of the things that we all love to do so i i just i'd like to get in there on saturdays and get a good you know, good forearm lifting as well. And then on Sunday, as you know, that's that's the Lord's day to rest. So that's mine as well. So I don't do anything on Sundays. Mm-hmm.
0: That's good stuff, man. And, and I, what I really like listening to you talk is that you listen to your body and you understand like, Hey, I'm going to use these three days to be my max effort days on, on throwing or my harder days throwing. And these three days, I'm going to spend focus on the lifting part of things. And, That's really good, man, because there's a lot of things like it took me a long time to figure stuff out like that myself because I was all balls to the wall myself. And obviously, as you get older and you start learning, you start getting injuries and stuff, you start being able to adapt to that stuff. And it's funny how uh, with that, you know, excluding all the research and all the studying and, 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 you know, the the education aside – Usually, people start figuring things out themselves and figuring out the right way themselves, and that's exactly kind of what you're saying right there. Is like, hey, I'm going to protect my arm. I'm going to focus on these days throwing, focus these days lifting, and like you said, focusing on squat and deadlift. With deadlift, I agree with 100. percent. It's to me, it's the biggest power. It's the biggest velo builder. It's the biggest bat speed builder in the world. And and I love hearing you say that right there, man.
1: Absolutely. Also, I got to give your hat a shout out.
2: That
0: hat is absolutely- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah, Lion's not sheep for people that are listening. It's uh I got a couple of the hats, but everything that it stands for, I I love. So, appreciate that, man. But Adam, is there anything else you want to add on before we close out here, man? No, man. This was
2: awesome, Keek. Thanks for coming on and thanks for being honest about the, your past experiences. I can't congratulate you enough on just kind of where you're at today and what you went through to get there. And I think our listeners are really going to they're going to tend to this and they're going to take it to heart and they're going to know that you're going to go through times that are hard, but it just makes us better people in the long run. So thanks for coming on and being honest. You shared a ton of great knowledge today and we're looking forward to seeing you back in the facility. Once you get back in town, my man.
1: Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate y'all for having me on.
0: Yeah, brother, man. It was a blast. This is going to be, I'm really excited for our listeners to hear this stuff because this is, this is a lot of good information from a new school, old school, but also a personal growth perspective, man. So I appreciate you, man.
1: Absolutely, Sean. I appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Of course. All right, guys. All right, uh, yep. If you guys enjoyed this episode, man, make sure you guys leave that five-star review. Uh, I, and I, I think this is going to be one of our most popular episodes. So if you enjoy it, make sure you leave that five-star and give uh, Keegan a follow on uh, social media as well. Keegan, what's your uh, Twitter handle? Uh, I think it's just Curtis underscore Keegan. Something yeah. like that. I'm not going to too sure. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I uh, I actually followed you yesterday because I wanted to keep in touch and, uh, and be able to follow it, you. It, it, yeah, yeah. But all right, guys, till next time. We'll see you guys later.